0: Good afternoon, everybody. For the, if it's your first time here, I'm Alvin, lead pastor here. I'm just glad you're uh, spending this time with us. Welcome to our church. For those of you who are regulars, welcome back. It's always good to see you. Hey. Uh, I want to tell you how much I missed you guys last Sunday. I was away on vacation, and I heard my mom did an amazing job. <laughs> pastor CC bringing the word. And uh, I knew she would, which is why I asked her, Um, so I'm happy to hear that, and um, thanks so much for my birthday uh, cards and wishes on the 20th, and uh, y'all are just awesome. I was uh, telling one of the guys, Brandon, that uh, I was looking on social media while I was away and saw uh, the different hangouts that were happening, and I just... I just started crying while I was away, and I was like, man, this is the best group of people. This is the best church, and I was just so honored to be a part of this, let alone leading it. So, so it's just very humbling, to say the least. Um, but happy 4th of July. Before we get into the message, I would like for us to do our declaration together. So repeat these, word af- these words after me. Uh, say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it, it. and my life achieve it. it. Say, the more I give life, the more I'll receive. receive. And the more I live life, the more I'll believe. believe. In In the name of Jesus, amen. I believe that. I believe that. This is the bread of life, and every time you consume the word, whether you're reading it or you're hearing it, you got to just trust that you are receiving the bread of life every time you hear it. Uh, and that just changes the entire experience. So I like starting off with that. Uh, for the month of July, we are teaching on the series called Find Freedom. Find Freedom. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, our church, our vision is following Jesus building leaders, but we have four steps on how we do that at Nashville Life. The first step is we know God. Second step is we find freedom. Third step is we discover purpose. And the fourth step is make a difference. That is the process of what it's like to go at Nashville Life and to grow. That's kind of the growth track of our church. You know God, you find freedom, you discover purpose, and then you make a difference. And then you... Uh, pretty much lead others to do the same. By making a difference, you introduce people to God, and then you help them find freedom and discover their purpose and make a difference and so on and so on. And that's the cycle of the kingdom of God. That's what happens. That's how it's worked ever since the beginning, and that's how it's going to work until the end. So uh, today we're going to focus, we well, really the whole month, we're going to focus on freedom and what better day to kick it off than 4th of July, uh, which is... Uh, a day that's all about freedom, liberty, and 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 all of these things. Um, but it really makes me think. Honestly, I wasn't planning on. I didn't know that Fourth of July fell on the freedom uh, series, and I really began to ponder about the definition of freedom. And and the more I started to think about freedom, the more I realized that. Um, the the way that we define freedom here on earth uh, is a bit relative. It's not uh, it's not it's not totally complete. Uh, and, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the f- the phrase relative, um, relative is when or relativity is when something or the nature of something changes based off of what it's related to. Uh, so I'll give some examples. Um, like height can be Like, if someone's tall or not, that can be relative. Like, for instance, if I'm in a room of a bunch of fourth graders, in that room, I will be perceived as tall. And uh, key word is in that room with a bunch of fourth graders. But if you put me in the same room with a bunch of NBA players, I would not look tall, because relatively speaking, I'm tall compared to them, but I'm not tall compared to them. Uh, Same with distance, if something's close or far, like for instance, uh, Lebanon, Tennessee, I feel like that's far from where I live. Whenever there's something in Lebanon, I'm like, that's far. At the same time, when I was coming from Knoxville the other day, and I got to Lebanon, I was like, oh, we're home. We're home, because compared to Knoxville, Lebanon is really close to my house but outside the context of comparing it to Knoxville, it's very far. So that's what relativity re- relativity means. Um, I think on Earth we define freedom in a, in a relative way, and I want to address it because, for instance, Fourth of July. You know, it's the day that our nation uh, became free. 1776, July 4th, Declaration of Independence. Really, the free phrase is, full phrase as we were free from Brini- the British monarch. Uh, we were free from, from British rule, but were we free in an absolute sense? I don't believe we were. I believe we were free, relatively speaking, to being under British rule, but as far as an absolute definition of what freedom is, I don't believe that was established at 1776. For a lot of reasons, the most obvious reason is people who looked like me on 1776 were anything but free. So, so even though it was liberty and freedom, if you if if you looked like me at that time, you were anything but free in the context that they were celebrating it in. So, then let's fast forward to September 22nd. 1862, Emancipation Proclamation, that's when the slaves were free. People who looked like me in America were free from slavery. And and you would think, then that means the nation is free. Finally, the nation is free. But that wasn't the case. For a lot of reasons, one of which, 250,000 slaves in Texas didn't even know about this, and they still served as slaves for two years until we just celebrated Juneteenth. 1865. Finally, those guys were free. So then finally, the nation's free. We are a free nation. No. The list goes on and on. Women couldn't vote until 1920. People of color couldn't vote till men of color couldn't vote till 1870. And then that's just political freedoms. Not to mention social stuff. Jim Crow laws and anti-Semitism and and then you get to other things of, uh, you know, substance abuse and being bound by alcoholism in this country. And then, then the AIDS epidemic and people bound by diseases. So, so even though we have these historical marks of freedom, they're all relative. They're all partial freedoms. We celebrate, this is the day we became free, but is it really So my question to you, with all of these relative freedoms, all these partial freedoms, all these historical dates of the day that this happened, and then sure enough, we were still in bondage, and then this happened, and we were still in bondage, is there a such thing as absolute freedom, is my question today. Is there a such thing as a freedom that's not partial, a freedom that is not relative, a freedom that can stand across the board no matter what? And my answer is yes. The good news of the gospel is there is a freedom that is absolute. There is a freedom that man cannot give and that man cannot take away. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. (laughs) Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. So there it says right there, Christ, when he died on the cross and when he shed his blood, it set us free. I'm going to talk about what it set us free from in a minute, but it set us free. And the reason is for freedom. It's kind of redundant, but yeah, you were set free to be free. You were not set free to come to church. You were not set free to memorize scripture. You were set free to be free. Do those things Enable you to be free, absolutely, but you were set free to experience and actually enjoy freedom. The next part says, stand firm, therefore. Since you've been free to enjoy freedom, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Slavery. We're not talking about the slavery that was ended in 1862 by the Emancipation Proclamation. We are not talking about an earthly slavery. Slavery in its truest form applies to each and every one of us in this room. But my family, we weren't slave. We were slave owners. It applies to you. I'm not from this country. I'm from another country. It applies to you. I was born way after all that. It applies to you. The the slavery that the word of God is speaking about is a slavery that applies to all of us regardless of how you look, regardless of what year you were born, regardless of how much money you have or don't have. The reason why is because the word sin. The Bible says that all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. We've all sinned. Let's talk about what sin is. Jesus says something pretty bold about sin. In John chapter 8 verse 34. Jesus answered them saying truly, truly. He said truly twice. He wasn't messing around. Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Slavery, which means you can be rich and be a slave, you can be white in 1860 and be a slave. You can be black in 2012 and be a slave. You can have all the money in the world. You can have no money. You can have all of the freedoms that this world can give and still be a slave, not because you are physically in chains, not because someone is telling you what to do, but because you practice sin. That's the slavery that the Bible is talking about. That's the slavery that Christ set us free from. And actually, slavery to sin is more severe than slavery to another human being. And I'm saying that as as sensitively as I can because slavery that we experience in this country and all around the world is terrible. But as terrible as it is, it still isn't as severe, which is hard for us to fathom. We think that That stuff is more severe than slavery to sin. We look at it, generally speaking, as more of a tragedy, more of an intense thing. It's more offensive. We look at human-to-human slavery way more offensively and way more with uh, sensitivity than we do with what God is saying is more severe. Let me show a scripture that shows how we should look at the world versus what's happening in the spirit. It's another scripture from Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. Luke chapter 12, that's, that, yeah, that's missing 12, it's sorry. Right. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you. Jesus says, y'all, if Jesus has given us a warning, we need to take heed. Jesus says, I will warn you whom, you, whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And the reason why I gave that scripture, because it's a great perspective giver, he's basically saying, yes, human to human crime and, and the worst things that you can fear that can happen where a man could do this or he could take your life or he can arrest you, yes, those things are bad. Those things are bad. I'm not making light of those things. Well, actually, I am compared to your eternity. Basically, if someone kills you physically, Jesus is saying the worst they can do is destroy your body. After they, restro- after they destroy your body, there's nothing more they can do to you. After someone, if someone kills someone, after they kill them, there's nothing more that they can do to them. It's a very uh, short term uh, crime. Jesus says, if we were wise, he's warning us to realize that the person that we should fear the most is the one who determines our eternity. He goes, the worst that man can do is kill you. But when it comes to your eternal state, that's forever. And that's what we should reverence more. And that's what we should hold as way more weight than what's happening in our world. Again, I'm not diminishing crime and human to human injustice, but... Jesus is saying, I'm warning you that it's way more important to care about what's happening for your eternity than what man can do to you in killing your body. So I bring that scripture up because while slavery is bad, was bad, will always be bad, it pales in comparison to the slavery to sin that determines your entire destiny. There's an internal slavery. There's an internal slavery that happens when you practice sin that's way more uh, binding and limiting and damning than anything that can happen slavery-wise here on earth. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make sure that we as a church Don't get the two priorities mixed and we uphold our earthly freedoms and we celebrate our earthly freedoms, meanwhile in our soul we are still slaves. God forbid we celebrate another 4th of July going liberty, freedom, freedom and we're still slaves and chains. God forbid we put so much weight on the day that our physical chains were broken from our hands. When slavery ended, Meanwhile, our soul is still in, 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 in chains, not because the government legislated it, but because of sin. Guys, sin puts you in more bondage than a man could ever do. And I just can feel it in myself, I can feel it in this church, that we need to renew our perspective of what freedom really is and what slavery really is Romans chapter 12 verse 2 Romans chapter 12 verse 2 Paul says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and Perfect. Everyone say perfect. Say it again. Perfect. One more time. Perfect. The reason why I'm having us read the scripture, first of all, this is a multi-purpose scripture. There are several ways. Every area of our life has a worldly way to look at it and then a kingdom way to look at it. So, I mean, you insert, you can finance, sex, marriage, education, Physical fitness, raising children, health, diet, any aspect of your life has a way that you can go by it by the pattern of the world. And then it has a way that you can go about it by renewing your mind. It applies to freedom. Let's talk about freedom. 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 There is a way to pursue freedom and define freedom by a way that is the way the world defines it which is surface at best, relative, partial, or you can approach freedom by renewing your mind to find out what is the perfect, perfect version of freedom. There's partial freedom, there's relative freedom, there's more free than I was yesterday freedom. There's progress freedom, but there is a perfect freedom And sometimes we don't even, that's why I start off with asking, do we even believe that absolute freedom exists? Perfect freedom. God wants us to renew our minds so we can discern what is perfect freedom. Not better freedom, not more freedom, perfect freedom. And the reason why I'm emphasizing the word perfect freedom is because if you don't know how to discern perfect freedom, then you will settle for partial freedom. You will settle for relative freedom. You will, you will settle for freedom that is, as long as I was better than the way I was, it's like, well, that's, that's not what Jesus paid for. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to become better versions of who we are or who we were. I mean, some of us were shooting up heroin. It's like, well, I'm glad that you're better, but there's a, God forbid that, I mean, put it this way, you don't have to do that much to get better than than some of the places we've been in. Some of us have been in some dark places, and better will still be dark, just not as dark. We're not going for a relative light here. We're not going for a relative salvation. We're not going for a relative, as long as I'm not as bad as the the worst guy out there, which is how we pursue our faith a lot of times. As long as we're not the worst person in the bunch, we settle. As long as there's someone who's more messed up than us, we're like, well, I guess I'm good. No, God says that he sets you free to be free. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to discern what is perfect. And if you, do, if you can't discern what is perfect, you will settle for less. And God forbid that Jesus died on the cross for us to settle for less than what he paid for. He paid for perfect freedom. Perfect freedom. Freedom. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. I think this is dad's favorite scripture, right? This book of the law, talking about scripture, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. This is how you hold out for the perfect, guys. It doesn't just happen by accident. If you want the perfect of what Jesus paid for this is what it requires. It shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Some of y'all gotta revise your devotional plans. Day and night. So that, again, there's a reason. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, all. Again, we're holding out for the perfect. We're holding out for the fullness. We're holding out for the absolute freedom, not just that partial stuff that America has got us conditioned to. There is a perfect freedom that the Declaration of Independence cannot give you. There is a perfect freedom that the Emancipation Proclamation can't give you. There's a freedom that only comes exclusively through the blood of Jesus. And if you want to obtain it, this is what you do. You meditate on the word day and night so that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, for then you will make your way prosperous. Prosperous, not relatively speaking. A prosperity that will hold up next to anybody else's. Prosperous, and then you will have Good success. I want to talk about good success because, in the same category as perfect freedom, a lot of us are pursuing a relative success. I came from nothing, and as long as I have more than nothing, I did it. No, bro. No. No. Good success is absolute success absolute success, not just better, not partial success, absolute success. But what is that? had a friend that helped me think about this because uh, he was new to the community and he pulled me aside, said he wanted to meet, and was like, I need to talk to you because your church talks a lot about, like, success and God wants to prosper us, and I just want to make sure that I understand what you mean by that and, like, how do you reconcile talking and believing that God wants us to be successful with the, uh, martyrs who died in the early church he said uh the people that died in the early church like would you say that they were successful and without missing a beat i said absolutely they were successful that is good success and let me explain to you hallelujah when you realize that eternity weighs more than anything on this earth, when you realize that what Christ purchased for you is perfect and it belongs to you today, it will liberate you in ways that most of us cannot even imagine. When you realize the fullness that was purchased for you on the cross, all of a sudden, all the things on earth become so less important so much less intimidating, so much less pressuring, and that's when you find the freedom that we're talking about. Revelation 12, 11, it says, and they, talking about the saints, the Christians, the believers, have conquered him, him is the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Ultimate success is being willing to die. Ultimate success is not needing this world so much because you know that the majority of your life, by a long shot, is with Jesus in heaven. When you reach that level of conviction and that level of confidence, it will exude in every area of of your life and those martyrs understood that that is good success another person that understood this was Paul Paul went through the worst of conditions and probably on the most severe day he probably still had more joy in his heart than all of us in this room talk about freedoms he was physically in chains whipped, we're crying about our freedoms and none of us have a scar on our backs. None of us have ever been put in prison for Jesus. And we're crying more about our lack of freedoms than Paul was. Paul, 2 Corinthians 6, verse eight through 10, he says, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Basically, Paul is saying, you put me in the best of conditions and you put me in the worst of conditions and I'm still going to thrive. Put me in the wintertime, I'll thrive. Put me in the springtime, I'll thrive. Put me in the fall, I'll thrive. Put me in the summer, I'll thrive. Put me with wealth, I'll thrive. Put me with nothing, I'll thrive. Whip me and say it's illegal for me to preach the gospel, I'm going to thrive. Give me the right to say it's, it's legal for me to preach the gospel, I'll thrive. Freedom is when you are not subjected to anything in this earth, not because you're this invincible Superhero. It's because Christ has purchased perfect freedom. And when you understand what perfect freedom is, you live your life differently. And it's noticeable. Paul, I mean, he was physically in chains. The story of him and Silas, physically. Imagine being put in prison because you're preaching the gospel. And that's why I get so kind of disappointed sometimes with us because I don't... Thank you, Jesus. What I think we have been guilty of doing is we have uh, misdefined. We're 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 labeling something that is uh, freedom when we really mean comfort. We have confused freedom with comfort. We have confused in our country freedom with comfort. The times that most of us say our freedom is compromised or at, or at stake really means our comfort is at stake. Now notice I didn't say anything about comfort. Paul's comfort was totally shot. But was he free? Absolutely. Absolutely. Freedom and comfort are not the same thing. Jesus promises you freedom. He promised you comfort from the Holy Spirit, but he does not promise you a comfortable life. Holy Spirit is a comforter, but there is nothing in Scripture that says you will have a comfortable ride on this thing. So, I think some of us need to change our vocabulary and every time we want to use the word freedom, make sure, am I, am I making sure I'm not talking about comfort? Because, and the reason why I know that you're talking about comfort is because the freedom that Christ gave, no government can take away. The freedom that Christ gives no man can take away. Do you know that there were slaves picking cotton that were more free than their owners? Do you know that there were slaves being spit on and whipped that had more liberty than their own oppressors do y'all really think that the slave owners were free i don't envy that guys the freedom that christ gives you can be i mean just are we reading our bibles Read our Bibles. Every story just about the underdog is the one who's the leader. Joseph. The Israelites. Guys, are we reading our Bibles? And if we are, are we properly connecting it to our lives today? The way that we are getting, hallelujah. It just, it's, let me stay on target. It's just, God forbid our our blessings become curses. God forbid. God forbid our privilege becomes the very thing that binds us and shackles us. I'm grateful for our comforts in this country. I'm grateful that I don't have to worry about getting arrested right now about preaching the gospel. But thank God I have examples in Scripture that even if the time comes, God forbid, where I am, forbidden by the law, I'm still free. And people will still get saved. Forget Bible times. We've got times right now. It's happening in China. Right now. And the way I see the church tense up in fear. I can see us not, you know, it's, again, it's again. I'm not telling us to be happy that our comforts, you know, that life isn't comfortable, but to mistake it for freedom, that's what you call like, uh, you know, like hypochondriacs. They have like a slight cough, but they're like convinced it's cancer. When you're hypochondriac, little things become magnified and you start reacting as if your life is at stake when really you just have a sinus infection. I feel like the church has become hypochondriacs, and minor things that are happening against us, we're reacting as if our freedom that Christ purchased for us is being ripped from our hands, and we're overreacting and acting like scared, fearful, anxious orphans when we serve a God who promises freedom that is absolute, regardless of what's happening, regardless of what I can do or can't do. You think freedom is doing what you wanna do, when you wanna do it, how you wanna do it? That's not freedom. There are a lot of people who are doing and saying everything they wanna say. You think they're free? I know the law says, you know, that's the thing. We're going to talk about freedom, about freedom according to Christ because it's different. Yes, I know it's legal to say whatever you want to say, freedom of speech. But that's not scriptural. Christians, we have restrictions on what we can say. Christians have to guard our mouths, have to bridle our tongue. We can't confuse America freedom with kingdom freedom. In America, yes, say whatever you want to say, it's legal. But in the kingdom of God, you can't say half the things you want to say. My tongue has become more limited the more I follow Jesus. We can't confuse it, guys. This is what this is about. If we're going to teach a month on freedom, the first, that's why I started off with this. The intro has to be we cannot mix earthly partial freedom with the freedom that Christ purchased for us. It's different. That's why it says don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't get caught up with the way the world defines freedom. It's a very different thing over here. It's freedom and it's absolute and it's better but it's different. Another thing that holds us bound is fear. I saw someone post the other day, he said, 98% of the things that I've been afraid of never happened, have never happened. 98% of the things that I've been afraid of all my life have never happened. And I thought about that. I was like, man, half the things that we're afraid of hasn't happened. That's that's pretty much anxiety one-on-one. Anxiety is reacting to the worst even though the worst hasn't happened. You're anticipating it. You live in anticipation of the worst. So even though nothing's happening, you're still sweating and you're still, even though nothing happened, it's just the anticipation, the possibility of something happening, you you manifest as if it's happening. That's what fear does, guys, and fear is not for us. It's not for us and it's not for us. First John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, not less fear in love, it says no fear, guys. That's what I'm talking about, y'all. We have to uh, renew our minds so that we can discern. What does the scripture say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can discern what is perfect. Guys, we have traded absolutes for relatives. We have traded absolutes for, well, it's, it's like partial stuff. We have created a church where as long as you have less fear, then you're walking in the fullness of God. Guys, and I'm talking to myself, guys. I can't fight Scripture. It says no fear. Yeah, you might not know what that looks like, but at least you now you have a goal. Some of, you, some of us have given up on the goal. Some of us have actually given up on the goal of no fear. That's what you call Settling. Settling is before you reach the destination, you set up camp. The settlers that were going to California and they reached Missouri and said, We're just gonna stop here. Nothing against Missouri. But 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 a lot but some of them they were going to California. But they're like, you know what? <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> There's a lake here. We're okay. God bless the Californians. We're just going to set up shop here. That's what we do as believers. The destination is no fear. The destination is perfect freedom. But we get halfway there and go, it's not as bad here. At least it's not over there. Let me just set up camp. And if you want to do that, that's on you. But what we do is after more and more people do that, it becomes culture. And then it becomes theology. Now we are in a theology where absolute freedom and absolute truth and absolute deliverance is considered heresy. That's how we've matured as a church, guys. One person settles, two people settle, ten people settle, it becomes a church. It becomes a theology. It becomes a movement. Now when someone comes up and says there's no fear in love, now who is this guy? I don't know about this. This God is. This is not. This is not of God. We become warped. There's no fear in love, but perfect love. Again, perfect love, not relative love, not your dad's love, not your mom's love, not your siblings' love. Perfect love, cast out all fear. Are we holding out for the perfect love, guys? Or are we settling for relative love? partial love, the same, that, the same that we're doing with freedom. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That's why I love perfected. Okay, so here's the deal. If you fear, don't feel condemned. I'm just saying you're not there yet. Have we reached a point in time where even saying you're not there yet is discouragement? Like, we're, we're creating a culture where unless, you say, unless we say you're perfect and everything you did was right, it's not of God. Like, our generation, and I'm a millennial too, but we have, like, hardly any capacity for anything less than total affirmation. If it's not total affirmation, we are a wreck. That's a boomer talking. (laughs) Of course they say, but I'm a millennial saying it. I'm us saying it. I can say it because I'm with y'all. Guys, what has happened? I know what's happened. We're not meditating on the word day and night. We are not believing in the fullness of what was purchased on the cross. And we've made camps halfway there. That's why I love this. It says, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It doesn't say you haven't started on the journey of love. It says you haven't been perfected in love. So all that means is keep on going. That's all it means. Keep on going. I'm just I'm preaching against us setting up camp when we're halfway there. That's what I'm preaching against. I'm not saying you failed and I'm happy for your progress, but progress and destination are not the same things. And we've created a culture where we want to praise progress the same as we celebrate destination. It's not the way of the Lord. And it's not the word of the Lord. I have not been, I still have fears, guys. Yes, you're a pastor. But, I heard someone say this. What separates me from everybody else is I just can't quit. I can't quit. That's that's what separates me. I have to keep going. I don't have the luxury of just saying, I'm going to stop. I have to keep going. That's what's going to define my life. I kept going. I didn't get it all right, but I kept going. That's going to define my life. I kept going. That's why a third of the New Testament is word perseverance and endurance the new testament is full of those two words because we are still being perfected in love and the way you can gauge is if you you have not been perfected is if you still get scared if you still get scared that means there's still more perfection of love to happen in your heart are y'all with me Fear will enslave you no matter how many freedoms we are given on earth. I can't stress that enough. I'm not saying don't contend for more rights and more this and more that, but it's difference to, again, comforts. It's, 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 it's okay to enjoy comforts and to, to want to accumulate them in your life. Like, I don't think... I always sometimes talk to new believers when they're really zealous and like, I want to be like Paul. I'm like, Paul wasn't asking for <laughs> persecution, guys. Like, he was willing to endure it if it came, but trust me, if he had it his way, it would have been a smoother ride. So, again, let's not be foolish and like zealous and just not smart and look for danger. Jesus said, only, God's the only test him in one area, and that's tithe. Don't test them. Don't start. That's, that's why the snake handlers and stuff, that's why they still die. They're like, the scripture says scorpions. Oh, I'm dead. It's like, it doesn't say go looking for scorpions. Don't test God. Don't jump off a cliff and go, God, I'm, are you my protector? Yeah. You will be dead. <laughs> no weapon form, against you shall prosper. Hey, shoot, shoot me, shoot me. You will be dead. We don't test God. We don't, we don't try to find dangers. I got to disciple some of you guys. You get zealous and y'all start doing stupid stuff. And I say this with love because I was that guy too. But don't look for persecution. Don't go picking fights. I'm being like, Paul, no. Being like you. (laughs) I want to talk the, the the reason why Christ is the only person to set us free is because sin is the only thing that makes us a slave. The only the reason why Christ is the only person to set us free is because sin is the only thing that makes us a slave. And I'll say it once, I'll say it again sin is the only thing that can make you a slave. In the true sense, sin is the only thing that can make you a slave. Which means I can have literal chains on my ankles and on my wrist, but if I'm repented, I am not a slave. In the true sense. Same vice versa. I can have no chains on my ankles, no chains on my wrists like everybody in this room, and be just as much of a slave as anybody else. Some of us are totally free in an earthly sense. We have cars, we can drive, we can eat whatever we want, we can date whoever we want, we can buy whatever we want, and we're just as slave, as much of a slave as I would be in. 1860 in Mississippi, and I would have been definitely in the field. There was a ranking. <laughs> the darker you were, the more, ho- more field stuff you did. If you were light-skinned, it means your dad was probably white, or your granddad was white, and that means you got to work in the house. I would be in the field, and some of y'all would be right there with me in this room. So my point is, if you are in sin, you are more a slave than I would be in the middle of a cotton field in Mississippi. At the same time, as a repentant man, I would be more free in that cotton field than you would be in your house in whatever nice neighborhood you live in. This is freedom, guys. See how different it is? Then the way the world defines freedom, it's very different. Let's look at the word. a Couple examples. King saw. King saw, he could say whatever. Talk about freedom of speech. He could say whatever you want. He could buy whatever you want. He could sleep with whoever you want. He could eat. He could do whatever he want. He could do whatever he wanted to do. He could go wherever he wanted to go. He could walk in any room. He could. Change laws, talk. That's that's how Americans look at freedom. Well, that's freedom. Wow, you can do whatever you want. That is freedom. No financial uh, restrictions. But he had sin in his life. The man was tormented. He couldn't even sleep unless David would play his harp. He couldn't even be. He he could even get an ounce of peace. Talk about a slave, wild king, slave. Not because he didn't have all the freedoms that the world could give him, but he had sin. Anyone who practices sin is a slave. King Saul, slave. Fast forward, David, king. Golden age of Israel, prosperity left and right. Gold, thrones, everything, best of the best, state of the art, concubines, everywhere, just, he could change laws, he could change decrees, he could could do whatever he wanted. But When there was sin in his life, this king that was free said, my bones are wasting inside of me. Sin is ever before me. He was tormented because he had unconfessed sin in his life had all the freedoms that we would dream of as Americans. Living the good life, slave because of unconfessed sin. Not because someone was whipping him, not because he was in chains, not because he was poor, but because he had unconfessed sin. I use these examples because they were as free as it gets. King Saul and King David, I mean, how much more free do you get than king? and just as they might as well have been right next to me in a cotton field, just slaves. Slaves because of unconfessed sin. Meanwhile, freedom in Christ. Let me give you a glimpse of freedom in Christ. Acts 4, 13. We read this in Next Steps. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus common basic uneducated unimpressive not rich nothing about them was socially considered cool or impressive yet They astonished people. Astonished, guys, again, i got to make sure we know what that word means. There's impressed, and then there's astonished. Impressed is like, oh, wow, they're great. Astonished is, I don't have words. I'm actually kind of (laughs) scared. Like, this is amazing. They were uneducated men that were not given the cards dealt to them that would give them some luxurious life. They probably had a lot of limitations financially. They probably had a lot of uh, limitations intellectually. They didn't read a lot of books. They didn't have a lot. But they were astonishing, which means they were causing people to go, <gasps> Why? Because they had been with Jesus. Jesus gives you a quality to your life that even if you don't have the, the the freedoms and the luxuries and the comforts and the privileges, you will still be astonishing simply because Jesus gives us perfect freedom. And guys, let me tell you, in 2021, perfect freedom is astonishing. To meet someone who's actually secure with themselves is like, It's, I'm more impressed with that than someone that had a billion bucks. I feel like it's easier to have a billion dollars than to truly be secure with yourself. <laughs> and that's what Jesus gives. In fact, it's impossible to reach that without Jesus. You can reach a billion dollars without Jesus. You cannot reach perfect freedom without Jesus. Jesus. Luke 4.32, I just want to brag about Jesus really quick. Luke 4.32, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, Jesus, for his word possessed authority. That goes hand in hand with the perfect uh, freedom, authority. Not arrogance, not obnoxiousness, authority. I say that because sometimes when Christians are practicing authority, we get obnoxious sometimes while we're figuring it out. And we must—we don't know how to do it yet. We just, we, and we just think we have to do it a certain way. No, you can be calm and you can be meek and you can be chill and have a ton of authority. You don't have to be obnoxious. In fact, don't be. <laughs> Today I offer you Jesus. This is the one that had the authority that astonished people. He had perfect freedom. He wore this world in a way that made people go, who does this guy think he is? I mean, how is he able to be this free? He's being challenged left and right. He's being arrested, and he hasn't lost his chill once. What, who is this? What is this? That's the perfect freedom that he brought to earth for you and me. I'm going to read this last passage, and we're going to pray. It's like six verses, but I think it just sums up the perfect freedom that I'm talking about. It's in Psalm 107. Psalm 107, 10, 10 through 16. It says, some sat in darkness. Wait, let me just take a second. Let's, I want us to take this in. I don't want to rush this. This is good. Psalm 107, 10 through 16. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Prisoners in affliction and in irons. So that means they were not only in affliction like internally, but they were actually in irons too. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Sin, right? Whoever practices sin is a slave. So this is describing prisoners in irons, and they're in irons because they rebelled against God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Verse 12, so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, in their affliction, in their irons, in their sins in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. That, the iron shackles they were in, he bursted them apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man, verse 16, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Not just loosens the doors, he shatters them and cuts the bars of iron. I'm going to ask us to stand. Stand. I want to open the altar to those who can relate to the people described in here. Prisoners filled with affliction, irons, strong bonds that are, that are inhibiting your life. Strong bonds that are keeping you from moving forward the way you want to move forward. This altar call, I'm not saying that you don't believe in God. I'm not saying you don't believe in Jesus. I'm saying if you are done with settling for partial freedom, if you're done with settling for a relative freedom, and you want the perfect freedom that I just described in this message, the altar's open. I want to ask you can come down. Let's let's sing. Just the Lord Jesus has the strength to burst that iron into two. He has the power to shatter the bronze door that's shutting you out of your future. Father, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. We thank you for bringing our attention to absolute perfect freedom, a freedom that is void of fear, a freedom. That is not relative, it's not partial, it's not halfway, it's full and complete. Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that I have not been perfected in love, but Lord, I'm here because I know that you can perfect me in love. You can get me there, you can get us there. Lord, some of us have put up tents and settled and gotten comfortable in something less than what you paid for. Some of us have forgotten that you have more freedom for us to experience. You have perfect freedom for us. So, Father, as I pray, I just pray that the individuals in this room who have settled for less than what your blood purchased on the cross, my prayer is that we would come to you like they did in the scripture and cry out to you. Cry out to you, Jesus, the chain breaker. Forgive us, Lord, for... Losing faith in the complete work of freedom in our lives. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would renew our minds so that we can discern what is perfect. And know that it's not only possible, it's not only for us, but it's already been paid for by Jesus. So Lord, we, by faith, just receive perfect freedom. We receive perfect freedom, something that is not political, something that is not social, something that's not racial, something that goes to the root of why we became slaves in the first place, and that is sin. For those of you who have unconfessed sin in your life, You feel like David where your bones are wasting away. There's a remedy for that. Confess your sin. Come clean. Lay it all out. Leave nothing back. Confess it all to him. You will realize that true liberty True liberty is only found in repentance from sin. So, Father, we repent. We confess our sins to you. Holy Spirit, continue to convict us because we are here because we want to be free. We're not here to be slaves in church. We want to be free. And we believe that you have set us free through Jesus. So we thank you for that. And we pray that as we confess our sins, you will be faithful to cleanse us and set us free. And Lord, like the scripture says, let us not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Because you're setting people free right now as we speak. People are being set free right now, which is amazing. But the scripture says to not submit ourselves again to the yoke of slavery. So Father, I pray for community and leadership and accountability and and for people to surround themselves with, with people that can keep them from submitting themselves again. Because community and confessing to one another, that's what brings healing. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for those who are here. thank you for those who are in their seat. Cleanse us, Lord. Set us free. We turn from our sin. We repent of our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to lead us at a prayer of salvation. If you want to receive Jesus in your heart in a way that actually changes your life, you can do that right now. So repeat these words after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I choose you. To be the Lord of my life, fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate freedom. Let's celebrate true liberty. Perfect freedom. Hallelujah. He's breaking chains. He's breaking chains. Jesus breaks chains. Thank you, Lord. If you said yes to Jesus, we want to know about it. And the way we do it right now is we ask you to text us uh, that you said yes to Jesus. You can text to the number 77411. And it lets our team know, our leaders know that you said yes to Jesus. when you text it, there's an automatic reply that comes to you that gives you some important and helpful scriptures to get you uh, started on this journey with Jesus. Um, there's a lot of questions when you first start out, I know, but, but we have some content that'll, that'll help you get started. So text that number, and, uh, or text yes to Jesus to that number, and you'll get those, those resources. Um, if you would like to get more connected to the church... Uh, text that same number but text the word belong and uh, we also have uh, a connect booth out there people would be happy to share with you answer some questions about the church to me the best way to get connected is to go to next steps and we start that right after I dismiss it's in room 104 our founding pastors are leading that uh, meeting they won't keep you long but we'll just give you the vision of our church and what we're about as you decide if you want to make this your community I hope you do We would love to have you. If you have prayer, um, if you need prayer, I should say, um, we have altar workers. We have two leaders that are going to get in position, and they're going to pray. If you need prayer for anything, it doesn't matter what, um, they're here to pray for you. Or you can go online and give your prayer request. That way we have a team that prays all through the week over every prayer request that you submit. So you could utilize that if you'd like. Besides that, uh, the finance team can collect those of you who want to give a physical offering to the church. We're still raising for the building, so so feel free to give. Um, so then the middle aisle, we'll have a team member for you. Um, aside from that, guys, I love you. I'm grateful for you. Thanks for being here. Uh, enjoy the 4th of July. Eat well. Don't eat too much. Um, and uh, I'll pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this Independence Day, Lord. Thank you for this country that we're in, Lord. And thank you for the the blessings that we have here, Lord. And I just pray for you just to protect everyone today, that it's a safe, safe holiday, Lord. Bless them for being here. Um, And bring us back next week so we can continue this series, Find Freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of the day, y'all. Love you.